men. What if you could do life better? What if we were more resilient and more confident? What if we got our priorities sorted and stuck to them? The world needs strong men. The Whole Man Academy podcast hosted by life coach Anthony Asprey, that's me, is here to help you become the best version of yourself and make the most of your life at work and play. Each week, I'll be talking to inspiring people from all walks of life whose stories and strategies will empower you to become a better man. Let's get the conversation going. Let's get men talking and let's do life better. Okay, so this is the Whole Man Academy podcast, episode 72. My guest today is the big man, Rick Cooper. Uh, We're going to talk about leadership and performance. He's a coach, uh, former rugby player, uh, was a London firefighter. There's a lot of stories going to be there. Uh, We'll talk about powerlifting as well. He can't dance, but he thinks he can. And he's also a dad. So we're going to talk about fatherhood and being a man. Rick, how are you and where are you, mate? And my man, absolute pleasure to be invited on. Thank you so much. Really grateful to to come on and meet you for the first time. Just all good stuff that I've read about, the whole man and past guests also spoke to me about you. So I feel really humbled to come on. So thank you very much for having me. Good. Oh, you tick you tick so many boxes of the kind of men we want to speak to who are about, you know, we'll say doing life better, um, whatever that means to you. Um, and let's just jump into um, I mean, you've you've got a really interesting story as as so it's so funny. When I dig into the story of often the guys we we interview, um, you know, what and they, what they're doing now in life is often you know built from the experiences they've got before in the stories. So let's jump back, you know, many years to when you were, um, you know, had a semi-professional rugby career and you had an injury. Tell us a bit about that and, you know, what, what happened and what were the effects of it? Yeah, mate. So, you know what it is, Alan, you, <clears throat> when we talk about what people do now, you know what it is, is we have perceived voids in our life and we look to fill them uh, positively, negatively. And I guess from my past time, then what happened was I basically dreamt to become a professional rugby player. Um, I remember getting laughed out of school. I mean, I'm 40 in two weeks. So we're going back sort of 26 years ago. I remember the careers interview and them saying, oh, what are you going to do, Rick, leave school? And if rugby wasn't professional, I was like, I'm going to play rugby. And they were like, but really, Rick, what are you going to do? <laughs> and I'm like, I'm going to play rugby. Like, that's it. So it was almost like, you know, I always got labelled with, that's funny, I said this to my wife yesterday, like, but always she said, all my school reports, if he was any more laid back, he'd fall over. Yeah. You know stuff like that but I went on um, and I did it um, I went to left my normal school went to a bo- all boys school which is rugby playing school in Essex uh, called Campion and I got signed up by Saracens in their first ever the first, country's first ever rugby academy right and I went there when I was 17 they asked me to play in their under 21 squad um, so at that time you was only allowed in the 21s between 18 and 21 so I went in it was before my 17th, it was, it was January, January before June, so I was still 16, and it was like, oh my God, like these guys are men, you know, there's a big difference when you're yeah. 16, playing against like 18, 21 year olds, um, but I got there, and I started just getting some pains, there was a lot of, um, lot of family trauma going on at the time, man, um, but you're playing rugby, there's a lot going on at home, I grew up in a semi-violent home, my mum and dad would often like physically fight, um, it was quite traumatic amongst a lot of other stuff but my back started to go a little bit during that time and the physios were like oh, you've got tight hamstrings you've got tight hamstrings and a, and a couple of points there was like 50 acupuncture needles from my neck into my feet like three times a week trying to release this stuff and then it would go again and uh, yeah one morning I woke up and I couldn't feel my legs and it was like oh shit so when I found out the spine there's a fracture through my spine and my L4 and L5 was so crushed that the surgeon said the juice in the disc 
it was literally like a balloon about to burst with like a water balloon. So uh, yeah, that, that, that's where we was at, mate. And at the same time, um, we found that out. Um, we came from a broken home then. So my, my parents split up and we got we got evicted from our home. So there was just all this trauma going on around like you lose this dream, you're this violent home you've grown up in. But I mean, at the time, I didn't really think it was that bad. It was all just natural, you know. Mum and dad just, yeah, you just get into a punch up every Sunday and, you know, like stuff like that. But there's a lot going on inside. Um, and then your back breaks, all your dreams that you've dreamt of are gone. You yeah. leave school with like, you know, like three GCSEs with no idea what the fuck you're going to do. You can never <laughs> give any idea to anything else. And you're made, you know, you're made to believe as well, like through the school system that you're not going to be a success in life. Or you're not going to get a job without these qualifications. Yeah, so you have all these, it, sorry, mate. Just a load of crap that you get taught that and you're like, oh, well, if you haven't got all the boxes ticked, then you're going to amount to nothing. Yeah, it's hundred percent. And you're like, you're conditioned to think like this. And then it's like, you know, I mean, I look back and I, I always talk to my clients about you're either moving, you're either looking backwards and trying to trying to not be something or you're moving forward to who you want to become. And I think it all stems from school. You're so fear mongered into thinking that, you know, all these things you need to be a success in life. And I generally do believe, I mean, even though our son goes to normal school, I still believe we're so socially conditioned to live in fear. Yeah. Um, and it happens. Yeah, yeah, 100%. I agree. But these, I mean, everyone's got their own different views. Um, I don't buy into what the majority, majority think and feel. And I never have done. I've always been someone that, I like to question, if you're gonna put rules in place, why are they there? And as I've got older, my understanding is, is that people that rules put rules in place is because they fucking want something from you. So what is it they want from me that they're scared of something that they need to put these, this, uh, what do you wanna call it? These walls around me to stop me expressing myself. Yeah, you know? it's, a, it's a big, big topic at the moment and you've probably come to the right place for that because I could talk about this for hours of, <laughs> Um, <laughs> I'm not sure that subject was on the list, mate. At the start. No, it wasn't. <laughs> I was love. I, I tell you what's funny on this. Um, a while ago, I interviewed someone who basically they said um, you've got to send through all the questions before you uh, before you interview. And I was like, as I've said before, like it's an hour's podcast. I I can send you a rough idea, but you know you can go off on different tangents. So um, yeah, we're we're uh, probably singing from the same hymn sheet on that one. That. You know, um, there's a lot of unnecessary fear around being driven by uh, professional psychological uh, teams that I don't think is necessary. So, uh, yeah, I think we, we can agree on that one. So with you, with once you'd because when you had that dream of being the professional rugby player and then that gets taken away from you. I know when I was interviewing, um, I don't know if you're a football man as well, but I was interviewing Neil Mellor, who used to play for Liverpool and, yeah. and he'd had a professional career, but it got cut short early. And that is always so hard to take because, as you say, you're like, well, that's all I that's all I was planning on. And if you haven't got the qualifications to go and do a normal job where you sit, you know, for for 10 hours a day at a desk, like it can be really tough to try and readjust to that. Yeah, it was, it was hard, mate. I just uh, trying to go back to that time. It was like we'd just gone from a lovely house as well. Exactly the same. We've been that few months into this, but two, three bedroom flat with my mum and sister and my dad had gone and, and although he brought me a lot of trauma, um, you know, and, and I, I have a lot of compassion for him now, even though we haven't spoken for God, a lot of years, you're going through this navigation process, you know, like who the fuck am I? 
you know, you're in this house now where the two women live and they're just vehemently against men and everything that man stands for. Your dad's gone and there's not a lot of contact. He's living in, in whatever he was going through. And uh, I used to go for walks out down Lee. I mean, anyone knows Leon C in Essex. So I used to go along there in the evenings, like pitch black, November, December, and just contemplating life. You know, like literally uh, there's some dark moments where I was trying to figure out how I, how I, how I can time time it so when the, the tide's out i can tie myself to the pier yeah just enough times when the tide comes in like i drown myself yeah um because it was dark you know it was really really dark i had no idea where i was going to go i had no there was not an ounce of light inside me that was like what am i going to do now you know like what lights me up what excites me because even like looking in hindsight a lot of rugby was around fear you know, I, I gave a podcast last month and someone said, what do I tell my 18-year-old self? <laughs> Ironically, if I, if I could talk to my 18-year-old self, I'd have gone, go with your intuition. Because my intuition wanted to let go of rugby at 18. Right. And, and it wanted me to go to psychology. It interested the shit out of me. I loved it. But the pressure of everything around me, my dad, you know, I mean, I think I was 16, actually, not 18, 16. I wanted to study psychology and really wanted to find a college. The only one I could go to is one in South End. But right. it meant the rugby standard was shocking. And I probably have to let it go. And it was like, oh, I better not let it go. So I was in fear of letting go of something I was good at rather than thinking, you know, oh, well, maybe if I went towards this with what my intuition was telling me, over time, I'd be good at it. But I lived in fear of letting go of something because it was familiar. Um, so yeah, that time mate was dark. And I remember going to career service and just being lost, like lost, useless, insignificant. Um, you know, you're at an age where your mates are like earning money, going out of girls and you're earning like, I just got a crappy office job, earning yeah. 600 quid a month, like just feeling like shit. Yeah. And giving half that money to my mum to help out. Um, I remember, just sitting there and she said, oh, well, with your qualifications, you can either go police, army, navy, air force, or firefighter. And um, and I was like, oh, do you know what? I just don't really fucking fancy any of them. But I remember just thinking, well, what fuck else is there? Like, if this is all that's on offer to me, then I'm gonna have to take one of them. Yeah, I've got to pick one. Like, you know, as far as I was concerned, there was no other options in my life. I was like, so how old were you then at that point where you when you made the decision? It's so funny with different guys who I've spoke to who kind of felt like not because they felt like it, but other people said this is the only path for you is, yeah. you know, that, and you're like, oh, OK, thanks. I'll go with that then. And because, you know, it comes down to mentorship, maybe of having someone older than you who who isn't just trying to push in one direction, but to say, well, you can be anybody you want to be. You can do it. But, you know, at that age, most of us don't realize. But. What was it like for you then once you'd made that decision to become a firefighter? Because I always think I have such huge respect for people that are in the forces. And I've interviewed, you know, Royal Marine Commando guys and the, um, James Elliott, the military mental resilience coach. People that would put their life on the line for things, you know, is, is very different to some that just does a tough job, you know, that is long hours. So what was that like for you? Actually doing the job. Um, yeah. um, do you know what? It was... I, I applied through complete insecurity. I was triggered, triggered to fuck by an ex-girlfriend. Right. And after going through all that and not being in the gym and putting a bit of weight on and coming through a broken home, I met a girl 
who had a really lovely, comfortable home and family. And I walked into her bedroom and she had calendars up for firefighters everywhere. Oh my fucking God, mate. It triggered the <laughs> shit out of me. I was just like, I felt, I felt uh, like ridiculed. I yeah, felt yeah. like insecure. I felt insignificant in, in, in this relationship. And it was like, right, she used to go to the gym and I never did. I was just in this comfort zone. And I was like, fuck it, I'm going to go to gym. And uh, I went back to gym three years after my back operation and was like driven by these calendars in my head. Just, I'm not going to be insignificant. Fuck, she's looking at someone else. I'm like, all these thoughts and feelings of just like weakness is what it felt like, yeah. you know? And uh, so that's what got me to apply. And I was just, got to apply on insecurity and, and just fucking anger. Like I should do stupid shit and like I'd go running and not stop till I passed out or was found in hospital or couldn't walk home and shit like that yeah. just to get into the fire service. Cause in my head, I'm like, it's a competition. What can I control to get in? It's, it's the, it was like what we now, so going back 15 years ago, 16 years ago, it was the most highly applied for job in the UK. Right. Wow. Yeah. Um, so I was like, what can I control? And I was like, well, the only thing I control is how fit I can be. Yeah. So I went out of my way and I'd say things to myself like, yeah, there's no fucking other man that's going to fucking beat me. Like, I'll bury everyone on, that, on the bleak test. I'll fucking bury everyone on this. Because like, oh, in my head, I'm like, I've got these calendars. And I'm like, fuck you. You're going to look at me kind of thing. I wanted to feel relevant yeah. in the world. And I got in. And um, bizarrely, the underbelly that I had is that I love being part of a, a team of men. Yep. Like, I love it. Um, so when I got in, it was like, yes, you know, you think, I remember feeling, I finally got a pension. I finally got a job for life. Yeah. Like, I remember having isolation around it, just like safety, because you're just told that like, this is all you're ever going to do. Well, so I just I like, read you, um, and that's interesting you wrote that, because I wrote down what you'd put on one of your Instagram posts, which is, you was excited to meet other men on my watch, build companionship and camaraderie, and be part of something meaning, meaningful and purposeful. Yeah. And just as you said, that's like, what that's one of the big things I think that so many of us have missed out on, even you know, when football hasn't been going or going to the pub or out with your mates and stuff. Like a lot of that is the boxes that have been, you know, aren't being ticked because of we've everybody's been kept away from each other. So you you summed it up nicely there. Yeah, and I think, mate, as well, like as men, we are it's such from a young age, uh brought up to compete. Mm. Like me and my wife are very, very conscious of of the language used now by the people we allow to be surrounded around our son. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, and I, I look back and I'm very, I'm, I mean, look, considering my pastime, man, I sincerely believe competition breeds disconnection. Mm. I don't mean disconnection from others. Competition breeds disconnection with your true authentic self because you're looking at someone else. You are, I mean, it drives me mad when I see people with sayings up saying, uh, prove others wrong. Do what, do what they said, say that you couldn't. And I'm like, do you not see, you're, you're a motivational speaker, you're a life coach, yet you're externalizing your motivation based on other people. Yeah, what other you people know? doing? Yeah. And it fucking drives me mad, mate. And uh, <laughs> it does, because I just want to help them. I'm yeah, like, you, God, you like. control what they're doing or how successful they are as well. As you said about the external part of it, you're worrying about something that you can't control. Yeah, 100%. And then people go, all right, then we'll make it you. Be better than you were yesterday. It's the same fucking message. Like, you're basically telling yourself for you to be better than yesterday, 
you were never good enough, which means that tomorrow you're already preempting a message in your CNS system that you're still not good enough. Yeah. So just be, I will be the best me today. That's it. Yeah. Like forget, forget yesterday. Because if you were your best version yesterday, you're a different version today. So you can't compete with a person yesterday. I love that. <laughs> that labeling, um, it's so funny you said this, the like, labeling of things as like the best, you know, being the best version of yourself. Or one of the ones we talked about recently was um, when your partner gives birth, you know, when, when, when the female gives birth and the male is like, oh, you feel unappreciated, it was the best day of my life. And I, I said on my Zoom calls, I was like, it wasn't the most happiest day of my life. I was fucking shitting myself because it was a home birth. And I was just worried that she, I was, it was the most anxious day of my life. But I wouldn't say it's the happiest. And also, if you said that's the happiest, are you saying that never end, again, you're going to be ha as happy as that day? So it's always interesting. Like you just said, when you start labeling, <laughs> labeling, uh, la labeling yourself, labeling whether other people are doing better than you. Yeah. 100% mate and um, and I think that's what I felt when I got into fire brigade I think with the camaraderie and and you know being part of something it was all of a sudden there wasn't a competition we were together you know like there was a cause it wasn't as if you know with rugby you're playing another team so again it's all about competition it's all about winning it's all about you know being being better than someone else whereas this wasn't it was like how are we going to help people better there's mm. a big different meaning in that you know when, when you bring people together for a it's like a co-create model like when you've got a joint purpose and you've got them energies you want to come together for greater good there's nothing more powerful in the world how powerful is it yeah when you get the right people around you with the right energy i mean i've spoke about this a lot at, you know either podcasts or zoom calls and, and the stuff i've gone on around the world with personal development but you get the right amount of people um who have got the right energy and it can totally transform what you can achieve uh and and your self-belief whereas when you're surrounded by people that are fucking mood hoovers yeah just like ah oh, man they, they, it's like they suck the life out of you yeah so how yeah. have you at what point um i always have so many questions about it's like when when we interview guys that are in the say in the forces about did you ever have any points where you actually feared for your life during during the job because to say the obvious it's most of it's a fucking dangerous job um not really to be honest Dan. like you know the military service is a bit different when you've got a bullet shooting past your head i'm i guess you, you know you are going to be like that it is that fight or flight like i'm either i'm either living or i'm not at the end of this day kind of thing but the fire brigade is much more glammed up and you see the movies and you know americans are a bit more gung-ho we won't even get into that but <laughs> i just generally think that it's been sexualized you know like it's very, I think, for a female and a feminine world, we sexualize it for women and we try to make it look more heroic than it is for men. Um, like, it, I'm going to speak for me, but I have been in the middle of it. Generally, like, there's so many protocols in place and you're so trained to not be in them situations. It is extremely rare, yeah. extremely rare. Thank God as well, touch wood. That you generally fear for your life in a situation yeah good um you know because yeah. i I, yeah. I think um I'm trying to think which it was years ago i listened to a podcast of a of fun, fun enough a firefighter in the us who'd said how you know you've only got to have one situation like that where you you know something goes wrong and you're caught in a burning building and it can kind of we use the words trigger but the trigger suddenly you think well if i had died in that building have i achieved what i want am i you know, am I am I living the life that I want to live? 
So it's always interesting to see how different people have kind of reacted to those situations. Well, then you went on to, and this is why it's so cool with your story. Then you talk about powerlifting and representing Great Britain, etc. So tell us a bit about how you got into that. Now, also, how tall are you? Uh, six foot. Six foot. Okay, and and obviously from your picture, you can see you've you've uh, you, you've got a lot of bulk on your muscles. So have you always been like that? I know you obviously had your injury, but then obviously going to powerlifting must have been a huge part of that. Yeah, um, I think naturally I'm quite lean. I used to be quite lean actually, and, and yeah. it seems to me now like. You know, things have changed a lot in the last two or three years, but I went back to rugby again when I started the fire brigade after my broken back, uh, after being told I'd never play again as well. I uh, went back and broke everything else. So <laughs> after like three, three or four years of playing again, I broke everything else and did a bit of bodybuilding, um, which that was when I, I kind of led me into really hitting weights hard. So I become, a, you know, quite a bit of, you know, a bit of a beast then. Yeah. But didn't feel it. It was such a weird world. Um, got out of that. I did a bit of CrossFit. I boxed, um, and then I found powerlifting. And it just came all of a sudden. I had this thing where it was like, "Oh, this is me versus me." Yeah. Like no one else actually matters. And um, so you, you know, you do you you just do what you got to do to try and be as successful as successful for yourself as possible. So yeah, we got into that, and I got an invite to, to be to represent Great Britain in the European World Championships with that. But things had changed and, you know, like we'd moved to Sussex and the invites had come through. And after all your life looking for trying to make it in a physical endeavour to the top level, these letters came through, what I said, came through, this email came through inviting me and I felt nothing. Like there was nothing in me. And my wife was like, oh, are you going to go to both? Was you going to pick? Like one of them was in, I think, Slovakia. I can't remember where the other one was. And, And I was like, do you know what? I just got no fire in my belly and yeah, we'd moved to Sussex. There. Not there. No, it wasn't there. And it, that was a start of um, a lot of self-inquiry because we moved to Brighton or Sussex and it was the darkest year. Like that first year was dark. Like I went and quit the fire brigade um, because I wanted to chase money. You know, like you don't make a lot. You've got a part-time job. You do 50 hours a week as a firefighter. I was doing another 25 to 30 hours a week personal training yeah on top of that and it was just like we just had a little boy and it was just a case of someone offered me a job on the underground for pretty much triple my pay of what I was earning both jobs but it meant both of us because my missus was in the fire service as well and it meant wow. both of us both of us leaving and we sold everything so we were renting we sold everything in the house and we moved down with, with into family's house in Sussex with the pretense we'd go back after six months so I drove into London for night work um, and did not get on with it, Anne. Did not get on with it. Uh, atmosphere was horrible. It was this, it was just dog eat dog. You know, I wasn't used to it. The fire service, if something went wrong or you made a mistake, you cover each other's asses and you don't talk about it. You just know that someone's strength is your weakness and you help each other out. But we went on the underground and it was like, it felt like you were like, you were like this baby shark that had cuts on you with great whites everywhere, just waiting to rip shreds out of you all the time. You know, people would grass each other up. You were the newbie. I knew the manager. So people never spoke to me for the first two months. They thought I was a spy. You know, like, you're brand new. And I'm like, I know nothing about the railway. So I'm like, I want to learn. And I have no idea the language they're using. I have no idea about anything. And it was like... That's really tough, isn't it? Yeah, and you're like, and you, you know, you go through these emotions of bloke, like, 
you're in your mid thirties and you feel useless. Like, especially when it comes down to like a job like that, you've got to use your hands. I'm not the best with my hands. You know, like I'm not, a, you know, like I'm not a, a handyman. I'm not great with my hands. And you go in this job where you've got to know the names of tools. You've got to know how to use them. You've got to be hands on with it all. So to me, you've, all these inadequacy feelings come up again. You feel like a dick anyway, because people are asking you for tools to hand them. And you're thinking, oh shit. Like, yeah. no, yeah, no one's ever showed my dad never had time for me to teach me this stuff. Like, so you go in now, like 35, whatever it is, 34. And you're like, oh my fucking God. Like, I just feel completely useless and like just demand again. Yeah. Um, and it was that time that I really contemplated taking my own life. Um, I didn't sleep. I, I literally spent nearly 12 months just sleeping two or three hours a day because I couldn't get on night work. And I remember driving home and I kept falling asleep at the wheel, um, driving home. And uh, you get yourself in such a place, like this identity has gone from the person you knew in SEH, you built this body up, who's achieved all this stuff, who you walk into any gym and people are like, oh, like it's Rick Cooper kind of thing. And then you move to Sussex. No fucker knows you. You like change jobs. You're not getting any sleep. You're a new dad. All your identity's changed. And it, it was like this absolute like bomb was going off in my head. And I wasn't thinking clearly. And I just remember thinking like Emma and, and Clay, like he doesn't want a dad. He's, I'm no good to him. You know, like I, I'd, uh, I'm not good to him. Like what sort of man am I going to be? You know, like he'd be better without me. His mum's a fucking strong woman. And she'd be better. She'd be better off raising him without me, kind of thing. Um, what sort of husband am I to her right now? And I was. I just remember distinctly wanting to drive into his tree on a bend, quite near where we lived, where I could get a lot of pace up and just go through it. And I went to do it, and then uh, I just remember this like energy right at the last minute pulled the steering wheel around the bend, and it was like <gasps> there are the moments where you're like, "Fuck!" Like it's not meant to be. It needs to be a change. Yeah. And uh, yeah, we made a change and it went back. Um, Never went back to that and started to find this, this path, this self-inquiry path of, okay, why did I want to go down this invite? Why did I not want to represent Great Britain? Where have I got to with this? What am I hiding? What's going on inside of me? Like, if I got out of my head, what's going on in my heart? Who do I want to be? And, uh, and it just went down this massive path, this last sort of like, probably, it's five, it moved six years ago, so it's five years right. of this deep self-inquiry. I'm just, just going to say, it's, you know, self-inquiry self-reflection you know it's kind of looking in on yourself and that's one of the big things we talk about at the whole man academy is is to be honest for most guys you just don't even bother to do that now you know if things are going brilliantly in your world and all the boxes tick then i'm not saying you don't have to but maybe you don't have you're not desperate for that but it's it's if you can start to push yourself on the path to where you want to be you know where do you want to go what kind of hours do you want to work because it's been so interesting in the last especially couple of years where I've done coaching with guys where you have a guy that says I hate my job I want to go and do something else and I'm like okay great do you actually know what that other career path entails and, and one of them kind of hadn't thought about the fact that he you know said oh, I want to be like a tennis coach and what which sounds really glamorous and good fun and I was like all right so you'd be basically working you know you might be working weekends oh I don't want to work weekends and you're like okay what about this uh, what about that and it's so often that you've hear guys that haven't ever thought what do I actually want in life yeah and I know with with the leadership coaching you do and the coaching in general which we're going to get onto. but um I saw you'd written something that said you know I live a great life a life I want and on my terms and that's for us one of the big things about you know it doesn't matter what the guy wants whether he thinks that it's all the shiny objects or he wants to live in a hut in a field if it's on his terms and he's content and fulfilled quite frankly you're 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 winning at life 
So I just wondered for you, when you're kind of doing uh, coaching with people, where do you even start? I mean, let, let's say it's a guy you're coaching just to, to make it more fun for the, uh, for the 76% of listeners that are men. Yeah. Um, I don't think it changes either sex, Grace, and I believe, and I believe vehemently in this, that you have to, I always start off with values. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I, I ask a set of questions to try and find someone's values. You know, and what it is, is more a case of we're asking questions that enable them to see their values via the questions, but it's more a process of elimination. So I have this, like with, I know it's very fashionable at the moment, especially in the personal training world of, yeah, I'm different. Every other person trains, I work on mindset. What'd you do? Oh, well, you know, I ask what their values are. <laughs> what do you do then? Well, I ask them what they value. <laughs> I don't fucking know what they value because it's down to you to ask the questions to bring these things out. So I always make sure that I generally believe that any foundation can only build with operating from knowing what your innate drivers are. So you make decisions from all of them areas. So, you know, it's going to be things that you'll ask questions like, you know, if we went for your bank account, where's your money going each month? What is it you love having conversations about? What do you not like having conversations about? Um, we look at your week. Where's most of your time spent? And give me three answers. And we go through all them things. We get this process of elimination. And it could be that they sit there and they realize their top five answers. So you collate the information and we go, okay, let's have a look. Let's see, let's see which three to five topics sort of umbrella these things. Yeah. So all of a sudden you might have different answers, but the um the subject matter may be the same. So my top five values are family, coaching, my business, my self-development, my health and wellness, and my sixth is nature. Mm. So all of my decisions for my life have to be based in all those things because that is what I value more than anything. The order can change, but generally in our lifetime, them same three, five, six things will stay the same. Yeah. And it's like anything. Like there's times when business is really, really good, which means that you can give more time to your family because that's ticking over. So all of a sudden family's role in that rank goes to one. There's other times where the business needs more attention. So for the business to need more attention, it might need you need more self-development. So for me, self-development goes to one. Yeah. It means if I, the better I become, the better my coaching practice becomes. So there's where my time needs to go. So, you know, that will go into there. Family will slip down to three. You know, it might be that while I'm conscious and all that, I feel like shit about myself. I'm not, I'm not training as much. I'm eating like not as well. So then all of a sudden I'm like, oh, do you know what? This isn't optimal. So health and wellness needs to come up there. You know, and you go down this process. I believe we all need to start from there. Yeah. 100%. Um, I also believe that the, there's the seven pillars of life. And I think these two things form a, a big foundation. The values allow you to make decisions in your personal and private life. So your personal and professional life. You know, like, because you get times where things come in and your way, you can get overloaded by saying yes too much. Yeah. And we're quick to say yes. And, I, you know, I think I said this the other week in a post. Like Richard Branson said, always says, say yes, figure it out after. And I am a big fan of that, but I'm also conscious of you can say yes to too many things. Yeah, 100%. You get overwhelmed, you get frustrated, and all of a sudden you have to pull yourself back in and go, oh, hold on a minute. What are my values? Am I making decisions from my values? Or am I making decisions from scarcity? Am I making decisions from fear? Am I moving towards where I want to become? If I am, let me go back to my values again. Does this in line with me? Like if someone said to me, Rick, here's 30 grand a month. I need you to come in for 15 hours a week into our office space and coach. Don't give a fuck about the money. 
you, I'm going to say no. Yeah. My values are nature. My values are coaching with a nature element and embodiment work. That doesn't allow me to do that. The money's great. No, thanks. It's so um, interesting because I always know there'd be people that might hear that. And, and if they haven't you know, lived the life that you've lived, I, I saw it myself where I got asked sometimes, would I be interested going back to work in the city? And I was like, and I really meant there's, in a way, I was like, there's no money you could pay me to go and sit at a desk doing what I didn't particularly find interesting for another for 200 hours a month. And then I was like, I guess there is a level because then I'd think if you could pay me so I'd have to be paid so much money that I know I could only do it for a year or two and save all that money, and then piss off. But exactly that you, you just go, do you know what, it doesn't come down to money when you're, you know, you're trading time for money, and it's not something that you're enjoying, then you're like, Fucking hell, I can't do it. And it's the other things as well, and you know, like I'm reading a great book, and you've got you've got boys. This book you've got to get, it's incredible. Raising Boys by oh. Stephen Bidolf. Yes. It's fucking brilliant. Um, so it brings it down into like naught to six, six to 14, 14 upwards. I'm only about a third of the way through. But something I read was this six to fourteen is when a boy longs for his father. Mm-hmm. He wants your attention, he's his first. But it's his first time at six years old upwards where he starts to define what masculinity is. And he yearns for the male role model. He yearns for dad. And he observes, he wants his attention. And I read this last night that there is significant scientific data that men who work at 12 hour day and aren't around, the child has psychological issues in adult life around tendency to want to prove themselves in a sport yeah tendency to have uh, become addicted to sex more likely to be unfaithful or the other extreme will do anything to stay loyal and people please a woman um they just create these imbalances and there's a lot of scientific data to back it up and it says on there that thankfully we're coming into a time now where a lot of men are willing to do the work and realize that they'd rather work less or take a job for less money to be more present for their son than what it's always been for the last 50, 60 years of more hours, more things, but no real connection. Mm. And I still believe... It's so important. No, it's just because you've brought us brilliantly onto the topic, which I'd written down something you'd written about. Fatherhood is a special thing. Mum tells us how to be a man, but father shows us how to be a man. Uh, dad being in the house sets the energy for a son. Absent dads also set the energy. Absent father energy. Mothers cannot show a boy how to be a man. And I, I, I would always say, maybe like yourself, the guys that I'm friends with who have had the most issues in life, pretty much all of them, it's because they haven't known their dad or their dad, they did know them. The dad was a total bastard, basically. And I, I never used to link that back until you know i started reading more about it and yeah that thing of how important it is to have a have a dad around but also have a dad that is intent on spending time you're not just there but isn't present yeah it's um i get it uh like i've read like fire in a belly i've read backbone all these all these great books and i get it like i get where we've come from i get this you know this whole again like we said at the start of the conversation Men have a massive fucking fear of the image of what needs to be um, needs. I mean, as in 
there's no need what we are meant to believe that men need to do like we need to be a supplier we need to be a father we we need to we have to be the grafter you know we have all this image around it like because we are brought up to believe that this is what creates safety um, this is what a man does and I, i'd be guilty of it you know like taking any job i could around a fire service to bring money in and, and shit like that that just degrade you and i think my biggest thing like getting into coaching any coach you listen to this will appreciate this you you as well and it comes point there's a lot of pressure when there's like income not coming in and it's like fuck what do i do what do i do what do i do, do, I do? and do you know what some people look and i got brought up in a family like this my mum's terrible for this well i looked at him and there's a time i've been like fuck it just take anything just take anything to get the money in now i look and i'm like no way what yeah. message do i send to him like if i give up on my dreams if I give up on what I believe and come away from my values, I teach him to do the same thing. Yeah. There's no way I'm doing that. There's no way. And um, and it's that faith. That if you're passionate about something, there's something that interests you that you want to venture into, it will fucking work because you're getting out of your head and you're in your heart. And if you believe in yourself because your heart's telling you it, how can you ever fail? Mm-hmm. You can't. Like, it's as simple as that. Like you cannot fail because you'll do anything to make it work because you love it. There's an intrinsic... Get up early, yeah. stay up late. 100%. And it won't ever feel like that. You know, like getting up at five won't feel like getting up at five. Staying up till midnight won't still stay up till midnight because you're in love with the process. You're in love with like men want to build. I use this word penetrate. Like women always go, oh, tell me more, Rick, about men wanting to penetrate, thinking it's saying sexual, but it's not. Yeah. yeah. Like... We want to penetrate. We want to penetrate in our career. We want to penetrate our status in a family. Like, we want to penetrate in life. And we, like, we become like we've had this, like, metaphor, metaphysically speaking, we become like we've had the fucking snip because we try to penetrate in areas that we feel no love for. Yeah. We just try to penetrate in roles that we feel like we have to fulfill them. When really, we want to penetrate as fucking fathers. We want to penetrate meaningful things in our life. And if you've got that, like them, that, that meaning, that deep intrinsic why, you just can't fail. It might take a little while longer than the immediate effects of getting like cash in the door, so to speak. Yeah. But all you're doing is prolonging your, prolonging your meaning. All you're doing is kidding yourself that by you being busy and, and working, you know, like getting up and going to the gym at six and getting on the laptop at half seven, finishing at six. And then we use this great thing as men. Oh, I need to go to the gym to release. Well, what you're actually doing is treating the, you're treating the symptom, not the source. Yeah. So why are you spending more time away from the family home, away from the wife you've chosen to marry and spend a life creating, away from the kids you've chosen to have that you represent a really important role because you can't be bothered to self, self-reflect on yourself and say, hold on a minute, I'm spending 12 hours a day working and traveling and then I'm using the fact that this is so stressful, I need a release. Yeah. We'll slow the fuck down and let's go to the source. And why are you unhappy? Where is this shadow come from that you feel like you need a job that requires you to work 10 hours a day? And let's look at that. Like, I'm all into health and wellness, but we need to use the gym lovingly, not to release steam. Yeah, like, like a big mechanism. 100%, yeah. And I think sometimes we get lost in this world, like health and wellness, mindsets. Like, yeah, the physical, I need a physical world. I've seen in COVID, can't wait for gyms to be open. 
because I know I'm going to feel better. No, you don't feel good because there's something else underlying. Like you're using the gym to busy yourself as a distraction from something. Yeah. You know? And I'm not saying it's wrong or right, and I'm saying that it takes a it takes a, a brave man of a lot of courage to want to sit down and do this work on himself. And like you said earlier, like I'm a big believer in this because people go, Oh, do you have to be a victim, Rick? Do I need to be broken down before this happens? No. No, yeah. Like, no. no. Yeah, it is that like, we just did there. Like someone said to me the other weekend, <laughs> when you've got a man in front of you, like in a consultation or a woman, how do you feel? And I'm like, when I've got a man, I literally want to get through the screen, punch him in the face a few times, shake him, and be like, just wake the fuck up, like get over your ego. You're, you're in so much denial because you think you you need a problem. Like that this feeling of just, oh yeah, it's all right. You think that's good enough. And I want to slap them in the face and go, this is not good enough. You're not, <laughs> you're, you're not here very long. Like yeah. your son, you're a representation to your son, your wife, your daughter, your mum, like everyone around you. Like fucking hell. Like I want to slap them just so their eyes wipe, like wake up. Yeah. And women are totally opposite. They get like, they're on the call and they're like, yeah, like I want to do this. I'm energized. Like let's go. I'm, I'm, you know, I want to be a part of this. I want more of myself. And it's just like, yeah, I just, um, you don't need a problem. Yeah, well, that's, I'll tell you what you said there, which is, it's, it's interesting about what I saw was a lot of people use their backstory as their reason as to, and it might be, you know, why you're where you are now, but you're like, okay, but what's happened in the past doesn't matter. So you can piss and moan about that as much as you want. But, you know, we're starting from today and what you do now is, is in control. But that's always the danger of a lot of people. And I see it with mental health as well. You know, we've said with the Whole Man Academy, Yes, we talk about mental health, but we also talk about fitness, fulfillment, business, entrepreneurship, fatherhood, sex, whatever, you know, whatever you want to talk about. Um, and often with mental health, you're like, you know, you sometimes you need to stop with the story that you're repeating about yourself all the time and, and start to look forward. But so many guys, I think, struggle with that one. Yeah, it's because that old thing, I know that, well, it's where I am. I've always yeah. been like this. <laughs> <laughs> It's like, Shut the fuck up, no. <laughs> well, well you, you said also, um, I'll tell you what, uh, it's an important one that I, I saw it and I was like, oh, you said, I don't watch TV, I read, I spend time and talk with my family and friends, occasionally watch a documentary or film on Netflix. And this is one of the things in the last, um, I, I did a talk, uh, fucking hell, probably a year ago now with, with um, Johnny Nelson, the, the, the former, um, the boxer, and, um, and Ed Draper, who's my mate who works at Sky Sports. And we were asked about anxiety and someone had called in and said, you know, her son had some levels of anxiety. I said, one of the things I would suggest that could be a good start is turning off the fucking telly. Stop watching the news. Don't read the newspapers. Um, and you might start to, you know, if, you, if you're not doing that, you might be reading or going out in nature. And they're like, oh, that's interesting. So ha with yourself, you don't watch the TV. Is there, was there a time when you said, right, fuck it, I'm not watching it? Or has it always been something for you? No, uh, definitely a time where I was just like, I'm not watching it. Um, I think it started about three years ago. I got, got into a bit of a spiritual journey. It, um, it, I don't know what happened. I, can't remember, I don't know what happened. I honestly can't remember the pivotal point. But I know it, it all coincided with my body um, where I wanted to let go of the gym. And I went on a bit of a journey where I was like, I need to find out more about myself. I need to find out what the attachments are for me to this, this, this being. And I, I started working with a coach in South Africa and he, he'd done the same journey and he stripped everything back to just body weight, just calisthenics, just kettlebells. 
all this stuff. And I was like, I want to do it. And he was in South Africa, it was warm. And he always worked outdoors in just a pair of shorts. So I was like, yeah, I think I just got introduced to, yeah, mate, I know. I just got introduced to going into the cold water in the sea. And it started this whole process off, like got myself in there. I realized about panic, about control of breathing to allow you to get out of your head into your body and, and all this other deep stuff. Like we could talk for hours, man. Yeah. But that was the venture of it. And then I was like, fuck this. Do you know what? I've got a rig up in my garden, no matter what the weather, I'm going to set the alarm for five o'clock. I'm going to get straight in the garden and I'm going to follow this training plan and see what it does for me. No music, silent, just me and my shorts, the weather conditions, and I'll follow the plan. And I found out so much about what was coming up inside. Like there was this, just this process going on over like this three months of like, Jesus Christ, like I'm more than I think I am. I didn't look at any mirrors um either which is the first time because in the gym you like again you're out fine yeah yeah and there was no mirrors there was no anything and uh and i found out a lot about myself and then that piece just brought this hold on a minute it was almost like i had this awareness now that we're in this world that creates fear competition everything around us mirrors in gyms the news the tv and it was like i had this epiphany of how much more life am i going to waste bringing information on someone else's agenda. Mm. So it was almost like I've got windows of opportunity here everywhere to read for half an hour, to study more, to learn more. Why am I watching TV? Like, yeah. why am I just sitting here going, oh, I want to chill out tonight? Yeah. It was easy. It was almost like, well, do you know what, Rick? Just set a timer on your phone. Like, read for 20 minutes. Like, it's no biggie. Mm. Journal. Journal for 10 minutes. Just see what comes up. Just put pen to paper. And even if you don't feel like nothing's coming up, just write that. Like I do that recently. Oh, nothing's coming up today. Just sitting here trying to squiggle. And before you know it, two and a half hours have gone. I've got five pages of journaling. Nothing comes up. Yeah. You know, and it, you just get into practices. And, and I have to say, and like, I mean, we obviously sing from the same hymn sheet. It's been, I have not watched terrestrial telly for three and a half years. Yeah, it's good. Um, yeah. And we watch the odd film. And even like Mrs. C is a bit worse than me. She's, she'll pick out the odd crap film. Um, like last night she was like picking a film I think it was like swap number three and I was like babe this is shit <laughs> yeah yeah and uh but while she watched it like I'm doing my shadow work diploma at the moment I just studied and it was fun like people go oh studying of a night time I just want people and I was reading it I was so engrossed in what I'm reading yeah. that I finally put it down about 10 minutes of the film to go I just laid there with my eyes shut just meditating yeah and then went to bed that's it's so interesting though because it's it's funny and maybe me five years ago or three years ago if you'd have said like you're gonna I say throw your telly out but like not watch telly you'd be like what are you talking about but I just didn't realize and I've learned so much about the you know the brainwashing the indoctrination and you see people when you turn telly on it's like just mouth open and and, and suddenly half an hour can go by so we I'm lucky my partner and I basically had the same agreement where we we're like we still watch stuff on YouTube and stuff like that now and again, but we I haven't watched anything on BBC One, on ITV, on Channel 4, basically like for probably about seven or eight months now because it's just a load of shit, basically. Um, and and now we try, you know, I learn a lot about cryptocurrency. Um, em is a nutritionist, so she's always learning about, um, you know, the dangers of the shit people are putting in their bodies, especially at the moment. 
um, and uh, you know, all, you know, the way we're we're running our our life and um, about raising kids because we're going to homeschool our or not homeschool home educate our, our child, so we won't be sending to a government or indoctrination camp. Um, and and you were just like, wow, there's so much to learn instead of just sitting and vegetating. But the average person is like, what do you mean you don't watch telly? Yeah, but I know people don't get it, and and then. It's, it become you can allow it to become a frustration I think but I do this with my clients and I, when I coach a lot of coaches and we go through this process of the ideal client obviously like and who you want to work with yeah and not just because you know, they're paying you money but who do you actually want to 100% yeah. 100% who do you want to work with what energy do you want to bring and do you want to receive um and I think that process goes when you speak to these people and you get frustrated because you're like I mean, fucking hell, man. Like, it's, I've gained so many qualifications in the last five years. It's ridiculous. Even the last 12 months. Like, you can go and get a diploma with a discount code. Like, <laughs> do you know what I mean? For 30 quid. Yeah. I'm like, you can go You can go and learn all the skills to become a life coach. You can go and learn all the skills to become a nutritionist. You can learn all the skills to become, like, a, a shadow worker or, or, or an archetypal, um, you know, like, Jungarian coach, whatever it is. And although the course says it's 230, you've only got to ask around to find a discount code. It's like 29.99. Yeah. And and you learn at your own pace. And if you, you're buying a course, well, hopefully, you're buying a course because you're interested in it, which makes it not a chore, you know? And yeah, um, I agree that like, people don't get it. And like, don't want to tell you. I'm like, mate, I cancelled my TV license two years ago. Yeah. Like, you know, you don't need it. Oh, it's, uh, it's, it sure is an interesting one. I, I've, I've a feeling there's... um going to be a lot more people cancelling their tv license soon i know last weekend there was a massive demonstration outside the bbc and there was about thirty thousand people out there so clearly they're not happy about something that they're doing but that yeah. but that's another that's another podcast <laughs> well, well last question for you is about um i, I know we'd um, i'd be looking through your instagram stuff and you'd written something about the 5am club and i'm very much fun i'm literally doing a, a talk next week to one of the really big banks all about morning routine because i love talking about it and how important it is but one of the things you said, which I totally agree with, was like, you've got to be adaptable and be flexible. Because if you're so rigid on, I must do this, 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 guess what? When you've got kids and they wake you up in the night or you wake up, have to get up super early. So what has the morning routine been like for you in the last, especially in the last few years where you're probably, you're learning more about yourself? Yeah, do you know what? And if, if whatever happens, mate, you make a fucking brilliant private detective. <laughs> um, do you know what mate as soon as you said it the first you said it afterwards the first thing that came to my head when you said that was oh god rigid i've gone from being very rigid with that to understanding a lot more about self-compassion and self-love um that rather than being this manly warrior rapture taken like these are my fucking boundaries fuck off this is my time a lot of that's come from uh, a lot of shadow around myself I'm a lot more flexible now I naturally wake up at about quarter past five and I've become more self-aware of what works for me so I do need that first hour generally kind of to myself so I like get the dog out straight away I come downstairs now and I've changed the routine so straight away I come downstairs no matter what the weather I put the hose on I get straight under the hose for a shower in the garden good effort yeah, straight away, it's first thing I do now, rather than leave it, and it feels amazing. I've gone through like this, I've got into, um, I don't know if you've heard of it, but um, Ayurveda, Ayurveda yeah. um, way of living, yeah, so they talk about the minute you wake up, cleaning the eyes, cleaning, flushing the nose, so now I get under the hose, and it's like, 
all over, straight up the nose, all from flood my eyes with it, have a wash, get my clothes back on, and I take the dog out and I just slowly walk, give myself that space, get my thoughts, come back, everyone's up, and I do a bit of yoga, like 10 minutes to half an hour of some yoga. And I've been way more flexible. Um, if you haven't read Backbone, the guy I talked in there about bringing yourself into massive self-awareness of times a day your body feels like it's got energy to quit itself for exertion and to start tailoring and making your life in alignment with them things mm. and foods like start to become very conscious and aware of rather than following what people tell you to eat like i'm not saying there's anything wrong with this but like the vegan movement the carnivore movement like all these things start to understand what works for you as the individual and stop paying attention to what the world tells you so write down, record, like how does food make you feel? What are you eating? What's the mood like? You know, get conscious of them. Get conscious of, do you need to delay eating? Does it really need three meals a day? Or mm. are you really energetic and happy on one? You know, are we like, conditioned to have three meals a day, you know? Exactly. And, um, and so uh, for me, it's just been showing a lot more, a lot more self-love and self-compassion, getting away the rigidness and being like, hold on a minute. What allows me to feel, what allows me to feel happy and relaxed? rather than forcing this routine in place. But I'm a, I still am a big believer that that first hour, yeah. you do, I, I do believe you need to have something in place that allows you to self-care. Mm. Yeah, we, we, we talk so much about it. Um, and again, I've talked you know, talk to companies about it because it's you try and give people you know, simple, achievable and memorable things that they can do as opposed to going, right, you're gonna, you've got a 14 point plan and you're like, fuck, I can't remember what I was doing after point two or something like that. So we have like a four-step plan that people literally can adapt to them. But that's one of the big things to say about, especially if you have got like kids, you know, sometimes we've still got a little one that's waking up three times every, you know, every night and has done for 18 fucking months. So <laughs> some of, yeah, you go to bed with a full intention of tomorrow, I'm going to get up. I'm going to, I feel good. I'm going to hit the gym. I'm going to do this, do that, uh, or go for a run or something. And then you get woken up three times in the night and you know then when your alarm goes off you wake up and you're like fucking hell I, I don't even know what like which foot's which foot i don't even know where i'm going so you know not beating yourself up over that is is one of the big things but i i sense with us that we've got another podcast in us uh at, at some point to be honest but um i know we said we'll uh, we'll call it a day at, at midday for you to let you carry on with your uh, world and probably the chickens have escaped again by now um, <laughs> But uh, but I appreciate all your uh, all your time. I do sense. I mean, literally, we could go on talking about um, so many different different parts. So maybe if you uh, if you're up for it at some point in the future, we'll we'll come on and do round two. To be honest, maybe oh, maybe even in person. You know. Oh, I'd love to. Absolutely yeah. love to. Yeah. I was thinking maybe we get you and, uh, and and your wingman Aaron on at the same time, which would be even more mm. interesting. But uh, oh, yeah. What's your plan for the rest of today? Um, I'm actually been invited on to um, an Instagram live with the female method to talk about the male perspective um, during the yeah during the cyclical period. Right. Um, so got that on. Uh, got a couple of couple of clients on coaching sessions, and then um, got something else. I can't remember what it is for the life of me. Oh, I've just been offered. Um, I've been asked to lead the leadership team for a coaching company. Excellent. So. Yeah, and they've just asked me to, to write up what my vision is for it. So just going to give some time to that as well. Sounds good to me. And this is what, for people listening, this is what I like is it's, it's you're listening to a guy that's living life with a bit of an adventure. It's not I'm sitting at my desk doing a mundane thing that I don't like because you're like that all, you know, it will, it will drip and drip and drip away until one day you'll be like, oh, fuck this. I can't do this any longer. 
Um, Do you know what, Anne? It's, it's funny you say that. I know we're about to go. So I, I've got okay, but I, I'm just making sure that you we're, uh, we're roughly on time. <laughs> Sorry, we can squeeze another five minutes. <laughs> it's funny you say that because what I've done is um, I've out of nowhere, somebody, a corporate, someone corporate I know phoned me and said, Do you do team building days? I hadn't. It was one of, them, one of them times I said, yeah, fuck it. I'll say yes. I'll figure it out after. Yeah. Um, so I said yes. And I've run quite a unique one-to-one coaching day. And I looked at it and I was like, hold on a minute. I Googled team building and all these events in the UK that corporate go to. And I was thinking, oh, my wow. Oh, my wow. Where the hell that came from? Oh, my God. Yeah. I, was, I was like, <laughs> I can take the one. <laughs> I'll take the one-to-one model. And I'll bring that into a corporate team building day. Yeah. And it's very unique. I can't find anyone else that does it, but it's a lot of embodiment work and going within for the day, as well as team building around communication, around teamwork, around relationship building, rapport, all this stuff. But there's a lot of embodiment work involved that they never normally do. And uh, you just saying that about the, mund- the mundane. What I've tried to do is create a day that rather than go, oh, we're going to a team building day, we're going to play a bit of rounders around the pitch. And <laughs> we're going to get some military guy who's going to beat us for a day. And, you know, then we're going to have a, you know, a couple of beers after. I've tried to completely change it up and what and just sit there and think, okay, what can these people come from their mundane to have a completely different experience? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, you just saying that, it was just saying I feel really passionate about that. I've just started creating now. I think that's important also that companies um, companies are starting to get back into having events for their staff. And in this last year, um, you know, or prior to the initial the lockdown number one of like 25 or whatever it is now. But, you know, I'd spoken at banks and different places and at festivals. And then a lot of companies kind of were so confused about what was going on. They stopped doing that. But it's important that they start looking after their staff and giving them thought provoking content because sometimes it can. Uh, I know spark something interesting in people and and a, and a bit of motivation as well and, and leadership and team building. That's why I was like, man, we can do another entire podcast. To be honest, oh yeah, um, love to. Well, look, I'll, I'll let you go, but I appreciate all your uh, time and all and all the work you do helping people. Say helping people do life better. Um, and also thanks to uh, Mr. Aaron Clark for introducing us, the man with the, yeah. the wonderful beard. So we appreciate that, brother. And uh, and hopefully we will speak to you soon. Definitely. Definitely. Cheers, man. It's been an absolute pleasure, mate. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Whole Man Academy podcast. Now, are you receiving our weekly emails? If not, you're missing out. Our Whole Man Academy weekly email is changing the game for men around the world using cutting-edge psychology, game-changing thinking strategies, and inspiring tips and stories from people you should have heard of but likely never have. So if you want to live more, be more, and experience more, Go and sign up, visit wholemanacademy.com forward slash movement.